Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. October 22nd gives us episode number 123. Well, just ahead, fresh news from the front of the hard seltzer wars. Turns out hard seltzer is hard. Plus, just how bad is inflation? We'll hear from a CEO who's been dead on with the subject. He thinks it's just getting started. And every company is trying to figure out just how bad its environmental footprint is. Well, here's a company that does that for you. Montrose Environmental CEO VJ Manthra Pragada joins us. His business is booming. You're going to hear all about it. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And we hope you listen to the Drill Down podcast regularly. That's much easier. Use your smart speaker. Say, hey, smart speaker, play the latest Drill Down podcast. You will hear our very latest episode. And Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill. Now we've got business stories behind stocks and a move, and we've got Siobhan Field again. Corey Johnson, I'm back. I'm it's Friday, and I'm happy to be so here. So glad. Mm-hmm. I like it when you're with me on days ending with why. <laughs> Siobhan, <laughs> for me. those of you who don't know, a business journalist, an MBA, writes for Forbes. She's a professor of entrepreneurship at uh, Pepperdine University in Malibu, and she worked with me at Bloomberg TV once upon a time. Cracked the whip, kept me in shape. And has always been on the pulse of business and media and entertainment and joins us from Los Angeles right now. I sure am here coming to you from Los Angeles, Corey, and I am excited to tell you about the three most important business stories of the day. You ready? I'm ready. All right. First up, manufacturing data came in today and October's numbers are down from September. Not good. The Purchasing purchasing Managers Index, or PMI as it's known, shows that this is the third month of declining manufacturing activity. IHS Market also released info on services PMI, which looks at hotels, restaurants, and financial institutions. Services rose in October and are at their highest level in three months. So here's the question that brings, right? So if we've got manufacturing data down three months in a row, Mm -hmm. we've got services up Mm -hmm. in October, that might suggest, and we'll talk about it later in the show, that for some other reason, manufacturing is slowing down and it's not just the Delta variant because October would be Delta variant, um, uh, I'm sorry, well, services in recent months, right? If Delta variant's uh, declining as an impact on the, on the economy, that would explain why services revenue is up. Mm-hmm. But if manufacturing down, maybe maybe that's because of uh, 
supply chain issues, yep. semiconductors and so on, inability to hire. Some of these other things might be weighing in the economy. We might have been chalking them up to the wrong thing. It wasn't all Delta variant. Maybe it was something else. Yeah. Looking forward to getting into that later in the show. All right. The number two most important business news story of today. Corey, it's good news for home sellers. Mortgage applications are up. Data was released today showing a 7% month-over-month growth in existing home sales. So home buyers need to be quick closing deals because properties are staying on the market for just 17 days. Now, all of that amounts to great news for sellers, but not so great news for buyers. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a dramatic situation where people are afraid of getting... Uh caught uh, left out of the market or willing to pay up to get what little is out there mm-hmm. on the market right now. Mm-hmm. All right. The third most important business story of the day, your breakfast is about- My breakfast. Yours and all of, okay. our, all of our listeners at home. Breakfast is about to get a whole lot more expensive. Amid all of this talk of inflation, the chief market strategist of Blue Line Futures told Yahoo Finance that the price of oats is up 80%. Sugar and pork are up too. So the supply chain bottlenecks you mentioned earlier and that we have spoken about many times on this show uh, are contributing to the escalating prices, as uh, have weather events over the last couple of months. Hmm. So, Corey, what's your go-to breakfast and is it going to be impacted by, by this inflation? There's no sugar. There's no oats. Occasionally some pork. Really? Okay, yes. I, I don't mind a little bacon and eggs. I also, lately... I've been uh, a pancakes uh, girl really? in the morning. Yeah, even carbs, good old fashioned. I know, carbs. and I, love it. I've I've steered away from carbs uh, a lot during my life, but right now, it's I'll even go for a McDonald's hotcakes with with some warm butter. It's oh, yeah, that that's that's beyond the pale <laughs> for me. That's not happening. That's how low we're sinking. Corey. Uh, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I know you've had your breakfast this morning and you are ready to give us uh, your first drill down. Boston beer. Let's get some beer now. Yep. It's, 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 it's afternoon. That means it's, it's happy hour in, in Australia. I, Did I ever tell you the story? This is pejorative towards Australians. Um, when I worked uh-oh. at People Magazine a million years ago, they were starting a magazine in Australia, a spinoff. First, they found out they couldn't call it People because that was already a magazine that was kind of racy over there. So they called it Who. Who, yeah, I know. And they went, and People Magazine had started with a, they'd hired a bunch of former newspaper journalists. They hired a bunch of former newspaper journalists in Australia. What they found is that they were just degenerate drunks and they would leave the office. And People, our culture was, we would stay and we would work until 10, 11 at night on closing nights, two or three days a week, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, depending on the close. That's when we were in the office. I don't think that's happening at all. Yeah. Yeah, the Australians, no. they weren't doing it. They, they hit the pub in the afternoon. <laughs> yes. And the word the word came back from all of the, uh, um, to the Americans. They're like, what? They were in the bar at three o'clock in the afternoon when they're supposed to be, they're, they're reporters. They're supposed to be fact-checking their stories. And it was just not the culture. Eventually, it was a big business problem because they eventually flew a lot of the New Yorkers out to Australia to work and try to put this magazine together. Yeah, but you know that that's the thing about culture. I bet once those New Yorkers got down to Australia and and had some time on the beautiful beaches and and you know they were integrated into the culture. I mean, I well, don't know about three, Boston, but six p.m. Yeah. Speaking of Boston, let's let's stay Boston on track. Boston beer. Here. Boston beer. Boston beer trades with the ticker SAM. It is up one point six percent today, but shares are down forty two percent since this time last year. Ouch. 
and what is contributing to that massive decline, Corey? Well, this isn't about Sam, which would be Sam Adams, which is why Boston Beer has a ticker, Sam. Beer revenues are actually pretty good for the company, but their once fast-growing seltzer business, hard seltzer, not doing well. The revenues of $562 million in the quarter for the entire business, and that's up 14% year over year. But gross margins way down um, from 49% to 31% in the third quarter mm. uh, year over year. Um, and that's mostly due to costs and just inventory stacking up at distributors. And the shipments were up because of the beer success uh, and the company's Twisted Tea and Sam Adams and Angry Orchard brands. But truly hard seltzer truly hurt them. Inventories were well above six weeks for Truly. They're trying to get that down with their distributors. And they uh, they really had a lot of trouble here. Now, this, of course, was supposed to be the great growth engine for Boston Beer as a corporation. CEO Dave Berwick said that Truly had the second highest penetration the hard, of all beers, but uh, behind only uh, Bud Light. But their hard seltzer just really crowded. And it struck me mm. that the best source of information on this was not, in fact, the truth of the conference call, but the comedy of Saturday Night Live last week when they actually had a skit about the ridiculous proliferation of everyone making hard seltzer. They did a skit called uh, Hard Seltzer from Saturday Night Live. It was uh, it was a good one. What's you sipping on? Uh, probably just a hard seltzer. Nice. <laughs> what kind? Just a J.C. Penny. The department store? Yeah, they're doing hard seltzers now. What? Yeah, ever since White Claw blew up, everyone's doing them. Bud Light, Corona, J.C. Penny. Don't they just make clothes? Yeah, I don't know, man. Okay, I'm not on the board of the company. This is just the thing that I like. What flavor is it? Men's jackets? It's not all men's jackets. It's a variety pack. I'm sipping on belts and ties. Sipping on belts and ties. <laughs> yeah, um, hard seltzer. Everyone's making it. And so much so it was acknowledged by the writers at SNL. Um, I think uh, you can see the problems Boston Beer's got really distinguishing themselves in a category where could be Boston Beer, could be JCPenney. Could be JCPenney. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I, I don't think I'm, look, I'm not getting seltzer anywhere, but I, I don't think I'm going to JCPenney for a hot salsa. Corey, moving on, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Whirlpool. Very good. Whirlpool Corporation. It trades with the ticker WHR. It reported earnings yesterday and shares were up almost 3% at the close today. The stock is up 21% year over year. So what do we know? need to know about Whirlpool? So Whirlpool out with earnings uh, in the quarter, uh, as you mentioned, uh, stock up a little bit today because they're handling inflation well. They had $5.5 billion in sales in the quarter, about 4% year over year because they were able to jack prices as well as really strong demand, continued strong demand for their products. Uh, the profit margins down, though, again, it's about inflation. Um, it was uh, it was an interesting quarter for these guys, not least of which because CEO Mark Bitzer came out, you know, a year ago and a few months ago and said, we're going to look at inflation and it's going to be this big even in April. Mm. He said that they were going to see a billion dollars in inflation. And, and he's saying that's what we saw. Here is Mark Bitzer. Ever since our Q1 earnings call, we guided to a significant cost inflation. We, we put out $1 billion as a cost inflation in April, and that's the same $1 billion which we have today. So probably one of a few companies who kind of didn't change their guidance. We, we saw it coming, and we're dealing with it. Um, 
in MISQ3, also as we expected, we probably saw this, the highest um, inflation increase ever year over year. I mean, 6.5%, which is um, sitting in the Q3 P&L. Frankly, in 22 years, I never had a single quarter of that kind of inflation, but we dealt with it. Um, and I would say Q3 is, is certainly a proof point, a strong proof point that we can deal with exceptionally high inflation. So going forward, um, you know, we, we don't expect that the inflation will quickly fall off and, and will be short, short term. By definition, there is carryover into next year. Um, but by definition, you will also have pricing carryover into next year. And what he means by pricing is they're going to take price. They're going to raise prices. That inflation is just going to be passed on to the consumer, mm-hmm. consumers who are demanding a lot of, a lot more. Um, to hear a CEO, I mean, I almost wish he had paused for dramatic effect. In 22 years, I've never seen a quarter like this. Um, this is a really remarkable time uh, uh, in terms of the inflation that we're seeing across the economy. And it's starting to have an effect, not just rising prices for some things, but rising prices for everything Yeah, because it just gets passed on right down the line. And we're seeing that in all of those earnings reports this week. Really interesting stuff. All right, let's move on to the third drill down. What you got for us? Hey, I want to look at Snapchat. Really remarkable. Um, and, and I don't care if you don't care about Snapchat at all. And it's a, it's a, big, it's a big deal in my house, Snapchat. But uh, what Snapchat had to say on their conference call could have a tremendous implications for every business out there. All right. Well, Snap Inc. is located here in Los Angeles. It trades with the ticker SNAP. Shares took a beating today, down almost 27%. Year over year, shares are up 11%. So, Corey, tell us what happened uh, that caused Snap to fizzle. Or crackle and pop. Yes. Uh, Snap, well, revenues are up a lot, 58%. Uh, 1.07 billion, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their losses got bigger from 168 million to 181 million, which is remarkable. If you can, if your losses get worse when your revenues are 58 percent, that just shows you yeah. a lot about yeah. their business right there. Nothing good. So Snap reported worse than Wall Street expected, and they did in fact say that they really got. Uh, they saw their advertising revenue just wasn't growing like they thought it would. Uh, their video advertising, of course, was their biggest product, but they said two different things, and Wall Street's trying to figure these things out. These two different things matter a lot. So is it one or the other? One is the, ma- and I'll direct quote, macroeconomic effects of the pandemic mm. and supply chain interruptions and labor shortages. So that's one thing, right, which is to say the macroeconomic environment is causing advertisers to advertise less. Or is it the iOS privacy changes, which is hurting their customers? Which is, which, or say, I'm sorry, which is affecting their customers. iOS privacy changes mean that advertisers can't really see who the individual is who's seeing the ad, and maybe they're less inclined to advertise on Snap. Both these things are happening. There is a, a challenging macroeconomic environment, and number two, there is a change in the privacy rules that makes advertising on Snap less efficacious. Mm-hmm. The real question here, though, is, and I think this is a question for every business: Do you need to worry about iOS privacy changes? That doesn't affect everybody. Or do you need to worry about the macroeconomic environment, including supply chain disruptions, labor shortages, uh, and a pandemic? And is that really going to see lots of random businesses like Snapchat take it on the chin? I w- wasn't just looking at what they said today. I was looking at what Evan Spiegel had to say just a couple of weeks ago on September 22nd, speaking to an investor group. 
sort of saying, you know, our video business is really important. We even got people to create different shaped ads for video, vertical video on phones. But Apple and Google uh, privacy changes are hurting the advertisers who normally used to advertise on Snap. Here's Evan so, so with our video business in particular, you know, one of the big focuses that we've had right now is just helping advertisers transition their measurement solutions. There's a lot of changes going on uh, in the industry right now. And, and I think there will continue uh, to be changes for the next year or two because this is not, you know, Apple specific, but Google as well. Um, and of course, across internet browsers and, and things like that. So the industry is undergoing some really big changes in measurement and, and really trying to build out more privacy protective solutions. So a lot of what we're doing right now is just handholding our partners through that. And, and that has been you know, disruptive um, for them. For them. Yeah, for Snapchat too. I mean, if, mm -hmm. if it's disruptive for advertisers, they don't want to advertise. Guess who that's disruptive of? The money they spend, the people who take the money for the advertising. That's not happening at Snap like they thought it was going to. And uh, I think it's worrisome. It's, you know, when advertising declines, I, I always say advertising is the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. When advertising declines across the board, it's a suggestion that companies are going to stop spending. Why advertise when you don't have stuff to sell? And certainly disruptive to the stock price we saw today. So yeah. that's going to be one to watch over the next couple of weeks. I guess. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't care about Snapchat's stock price. But I do care about the macroeconomic environment and what little stories like Snap tell us about that. Absolutely. Right, well, coming up, we're going to look at the world of um, environmental um, uh, issues and companies that measure that. You know, we're all trying to figure out what our, our carbon imprint uh, is, our carbon impact is. And uh, a company that's making a lot of money on those evaluations is Montrose Environmental. CEO is going to join us to talk about uh, how they are making so much money measuring environmental impacts and remediations as well. But first, a word from our sponsors. The Drill Down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And we want to hear from you. We want to know what's your favorite thing about this show. What's your least favorite thing about this show? Tell us, please. Where's Where's Siobhan's dog? We want to know all these things. So tweet at us at Joel Down Pod, uh, at Corey TV for me, C U R Y TV, at Siobhan at S H I V A U N E on the Twitter. We promise we'll respond. We also want to hear what you think of the show. So tweet at us at Drill Down Pod at Corey TV at Siobhan. Please do. And Bodhi's been a very good boy today. He's in his kennel next to me, quiet as a mouse. Unusual. Mm. Impressive. All right. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. Joining me right now is Montrose Environmental's CEO, VJ Pagada. Glad to have you on. Um, uh, such an interesting company, Montrose Environmental. Um, uh, and uh, because it, it's just of the moment, right? How do you describe uh, in a cocktail party setting, for example, what your company does? We, hey, Corey, it's wonderful to meet you. <clears throat> you know, when someone asks me what Montrose does, I say we help our clients answer environmental questions. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're, we're, we target industrial and government clients. Um, and the types of questions that we get are, you know, where's my environmental risk? Uh, what do I do with these regulations? What does it mean for me? Can you help me measure what's coming out of my facility and where I need to be and how I know I've gotten there? And can you help me fix it? Um, 
And so we put the business together to try and answer that for them. You say put the business together. Talk to me about that a little bit. So there've been a bunch of acquisitions. Uh, you've got over 2000 employees, 70 offices, kind of all over the country, a little bit in Europe and Australia as well. But and talk Canada. about and Canada and talk about growing, uh, which technically is a separate country. And you can tell because people are so nice and, uh, <laughs> and often pale. Um, but uh, uh, as you guys have put this together, there have been some acquisitions, but talk to me about the growth uh, progress of the company. Yeah, it's, you know, there's kind of two levers, Corey, um, for growth. And that's, I think, what I found compelling when I joined. And, and clearly, um, I think that the, our investor base does too. We have a, a really strong organic growth. Um, and so I'll, I'll answer your question on acquisitions in a second. But the whole thesis is around revenue synergy. Um, does it make sense in an industry that's been so fragmented historically to have a focused provider? And that's what Montrose aims to be. It's kind of a, it's nutty that there's a, it's a $1.3 trillion industry. If I asked you who the leader is, you know, very few people could answer that question with one simple answer. So that's what we're hoping for. Um, and so we grow organically really attractively. Um, and then we couple that organic growth with acquisitions. Um, uh, and the idea there is if we want to accelerate the specific geography and bring in a new technology, bring in a new team, uh, is it easier to do that by bringing them in the acquisitions than to try and do that organically? I should back up a little bit when you talk about the competitors. So to get a sense, I want to break down kind of your three businesses, but if you talk to about your competitors, it might give a better sense of kind of where where you are and what you do. Uh, we don't have an immediate competitor. It just depends on the segment that we're operating in. Um, uh, and so it's more like a Venn diagram. We sit kind of focused in one area. If we're talking about air uh, measurements uh, or water solutions or response to climate change, different folks kind of uh, overlap with us, but nobody competes with us directly. Now, as we talk about those three businesses, you guys break it down into assessment, measurement, which sure sounds like it's assessment to me, but okay. You got <laughs> assessment permitting, or assessment permitting and response, yeah. measurement and analysis, okay. And then remediation and reuse. Um, what is this? What? How is assessment, permitting, and response different than measurement and analysis? Yeah, it's fair. And like a lot of this has to do with industry nomenclature. So the questions we're trying to answer on assessment, permitting, response—that's the—that's what I started with with you, Corey. Right? Where's my risk? What do regulations mean? How do I plan for climate change? How do I respond if I got hit with a fire or a hurricane? So that's what the folks there do. Um, is they're they're kind of experts helping our clients think through those issues. Um, and so the reason we have the word assessment in there is we do environmental assessments when you're building a new road or a bridge, for example, right? Um, the NEPA, CEQA type analyses that need to be that's, done. That's for the 20% of your customers that are government customers, 21%. No, no, or private sector, right? Private sector. Yes, oil and gas, mining, yeah, I would suppose, yeah. 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 Um, measurement analysis is really testing. So think of that as, you know, we got field teams uh, that collect samples on site, they do the tests on site and they produce data, or if they can't, they send the samples to a lab. We, we process the air, water, soils in the lab. We generate reports to, to either comply with existing regulations or to try and understand what's coming out of a facility or, or a water stream um, uh, or a production process. And then, yeah, go ahead. No, please. Uh, and then remediation and reuse, obviously, is remediation is fix the damn problem. Yeah, fix it, exactly. Exactly. So I got, you know, I got ag waste. What can you, what can you help me do with it? Right. I got really contaminated water. It's got a lot of PFAS in it. Can you help treat it? 
uh, it makes sense to have all those together, although it would seem that the remediation business is very different than the rest. It's a, it, it's a, it's an interlinked uh, business, Corey. So let's use PFAS as an example, right? So this is a, it's a very fluid situation. The EPA just came out um, yesterday. Please tell me that what pun was intended. But continue, sorry. <laughs> uh, they, um, they came out with, uh, with a, a working plan. Um, and, you know, so now let's say you're a chemical company or you're an industrial company and you're saying, okay, so now there's tens of thousands of sites I got to think about, worry about. Um, this has been going on for decades. I, as an executive team, may not have been around when a lot of these uh, issues started. Um, where do I begin, right? So now the regulatory analysis coupled with the ability to test and, and testing in this instance is not that easy because this is a family of thousands of compounds. The regulations haven't been defined, right? The community is up in arms, understandably, and there's a lot of public pressure on this. And then you got to fix it. So if you don't put these pieces together, it becomes really tough. So yes, it's the remediation reuse segment's a different kind of business model, but it fits into the solution set that we need to provide to clients. And you made reference to what the EPA is doing now. The EPA seems to be, have become a very political organization where it depends on who's in the White House as to what it's going to do. Yeah. Um, I suppose I'm thinking of the Levi's CEO who told us on the Drill Down podcast that 35% of Americans saw their waist size change during COVID. He didn't care if it was up or down. Change was good for him. <laughs> I suppose the same is true for you. It, it is. Yeah, all change is good. Um, we grew really nicely through the Trump era. Uh, we were started in the Obama era and we're now in the Biden era. Um, look, Corey, I don't know a single human that's ever told me they don't care about clean air, clean water, clean soil, no matter your political affiliation. Um, and so it is unfortunately really politicized and candidly, it's one of the things I find really irritating because I think a lot of these problems could be solved if you got past the rhetoric and the politics. Well, I wonder about the, you know, because this isn't a new trend. I was thinking about this this summer. I was sitting, um, we're not going to put any romantic music behind this, but I was sitting on the shores of the Erie Canal, uh, right <laughs> near where I grew up. And when I grew up, we called it the Barge Canal. And it was full of PCBs, arsenic, cadmium, chromium, iron, nickel, yeah. mercury. There were, there were, you know, it was a, it was a toxic dump. It had a sheen. Uh, in the middle of the heat of the summer, we would jump off bridges over the canal and called it scum jumping. There was a rumor that Pete Bowley's brother or somebody landed on a cow in one of those jumps. Today. <laughs> now I want to know what kind of music you're going to play. And I, yeah, it, probably, it was probably be REO Speedwagon or Rush or whatever we listened to back then, Led Zeppelin. But, yeah, um, I like Rush. I like Rush. But 50 years of the Environmental Protection Act and the Clean Water Act and the Toxic Substances Control Act have led to 50 years of improvement of our nation's waterways and beyond. This isn't a recent trend. So why is your company doing so well now? The, the trends are not recent, but a lot of this science um, and what we're unearthing is relatively recent, Corey, right? So back then when you were listening to REO Speedwagon, people were talking about ozone depletion. And I didn't want to listen to REO Speedwagon. It was just on every station in the radio, you know, just to be clear. Uh, acid rain. Uh, I, I'm a huge Neil Peart fan. So Rush, I'm not going to put the same category. But, um, okay. Uh, but, you know, we now as we start to think about the next generation of contaminants, and by the way, it's not it's not going to stop here. Right. Eventually, we're going to figure out the things on uh, uh, microplastics, for example. Right. right. Or, or brominates. Um, so science is evolving. Our ability to understand is evolving. Uh, so the concepts are not new. 
but I think our ability to, to impact and make a change is. Um, and I think this goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier. If we can get out of our own way, I think we can make a lot more progress. Um, uh, and it, it, historically, we've thought of this as purely a compliance-driven set of efforts. And I think now what folks are really um, uh, getting around is that this is all about the public good and, and collaboration. It's not, it doesn't have to be politicized. It doesn't have to be just a compliance effort. And um, what, what are your typical, so you've got clients kind of all over the map in terms of, you know, as I mentioned, oil and gas, government, mining, um, not mining so much maybe, but uh, agricultural, um, industrial. Uh, what does a typical engagement look like? Like how big of a ticket is, a, is the beginning of a customer engagement? Presumably that grows to all kinds of things. You said, I think you said in your filings, you've got one customer that's I think 7% of revenues, but talk to me about how that, that customer prog progression works. Yeah, you can come, so if you think about, you know, uh, understanding the risk, testing and fixing, right? It's more of a, it's not linear, it's more of a circle. So you can come in and engage with us at any one of those points and over the course of your production, starting a facility, running a facility, decommissioning, um, you need all of that at some point in your life cycle, Corey. So a typical engagement for us, uh, we, so we are, we don't have mega projects, right? We tend to, ours are more 50, 100, couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, uh, some of our larger projects will be several million to call it 10, 15 million. That's about it for us, right? And I'm, I'm speaking in generalities. Uh, so we do thousands upon thousands of projects. It's a very diversified portfolio, but the problems are very similar. Um, uh, so yes, you could do an assessment with us. You could then say, look, I need some incremental testing. And then typically if you need fixing, that's when it goes multiple years and tends to be a bigger ticket item. Interesting business. And you've seen really consistent, big, you know, double digit growth over many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and knock on wood, it's, uh, it's going to continue. So I, I also got to ask you, there have been so many companies, you guys moved recently from California um, and not like everyone else rushing from Northern California to uh, Austin, <laughs> right, which was right. all the trend. There was a time when it was Northern California to uh, Seattle area, but no, you went Southern California to Little Rock. Really? Yeah, we, um, so, so Arkansas, you know, this, there's a couple of, couple of reasons for that. Uh, Governor Hutchinson was uh, incredibly generous um, with the various incentives. We didn't force anyone to move, Corey. So this is really more of a, uh, a procedural transition. Um, we, uh, we have an incredible team there in our response team. CTH was a company we acquired last year, and they've got just incredible talent. And as we scale our business and we think about the time zones we're serving as Europe gets bigger, and, you know, um, uh, we needed a presence that was a little bit more central. Uh, East Coast now being public is a much bigger footprint. Um, so we kind of put all that together. Together and said, look, as we acquire talent, it's it's there's a lot there. Uh, it's much more affordable. Uh, we own the building and the land there, uh, so you know we can shrink our footprint. We've made Little our, Rock, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've made the corporate team kind of virtual. So every other month we get together in a different location. Well, hasn't everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so it's, it's um, no, but we meet physically every other month in a different location with our teams. So we were in Georgia a couple months ago. The Maine uh, last month will be. Uh, the teams out in North Carolina and I'll join them very soon. I'm going back out to California. Uh, this week. I wouldn't suggest doing Maine in February. That's just me talking to you, <laughs> yeah. but. Hey, ice fishing isn't so bad. I heard I haven't tried it yet. It, it is actually bad. <laughs> it's, it's good if you have an alcohol problem and looking for yet another place to exhibit that. Other than that, skip the ice fishing. Um, uh, well, just such an interesting business. What, what's on the cutting edge for you guys? You mentioned uh, AI briefly. 
Yeah, look, I think um, one of the problems uh, as we see it is um, it's very hard to act on information that's stale, right? So, you know, if you think about a typical regulatory test, let's, let's take methane emissions, it's getting a ton of press, greenhouse gas emissions. We can all agree, you know, methane is something that companies want to save. It's a, it's a valuable resource that they want to sell um, and it's not good for the environment, right? But yet today, the way you measure it is you show up once a year at a facility, um, you have a guy walk up and down the pipeline and that's per the rules. And you say, you know, this is what I think is coming out. Now, somewhere in that year, if, if you had uh, something break down and it's been emitting, you know, hundreds of tons, hundreds of thousands of tons of methane, you don't know. You don't know that until that one spot check that you do. Uh, so it, wouldn't it be much better, Corey, if you could have a real-time assessment without needing someone to drive up and down a pipeline to say, hey, look, I can see what's coming out on a regular basis. When an issue occurs, I can then surgically insert my team to go fix it, as opposed to just randomly auditing it once a year, right? So th that's one simple example, and there's just thousands and thousands of these where- a Predictive had, maintenance, basically. Yeah, like if we had real-time information, you're better off, I'm better off, the environment's better off, why aren't we doing it? Fascinating. Interesting stuff. Interesting business with Montrose Environmental CEO Vijay uh, Matra-Pragada. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Corey. All right, well, coming up next on the Drill Down Podcast, we'll have the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about a Montrose environmental right after this. All right, let's get to the Drill Down being brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot -E com. And ask your smart speaker to play the drill down and get every day's serving of business news and business stories behind the stocks on the move by just saying, hey, Alexa, play the drill down podcast. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drilldownpod. That's at D-R-I-L-L-D-O-W-N-P-O-D. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I talked about how Montrose is growing and growing really consistently. Uh, and Siobhan, this company, so, you know, you want your business to grow. Mm -hmm. You want your profits to grow at least as fast, if not faster. Indeed. Kind of the opposite of Snapchat, right? We talked about Snapchat earlier, which is growing 58% of the top line and, the, and, the, and it's losing more money with greater revenues. Yeah. It's not, not the way good. you want to go. Well, Montrose is doing the opposite. Sales up 36% year over year, steadily over the course of the last five years, going back to 2016, every year, about a 36% CAGR, but a compounding new growth rate. But their adjusted EBITDA mm. up 68% every year. So as fast as their revenues grow, their profits grow a lot faster, or their adjusted EBITDA less, at least. Uh, there's your number, 36% compound annual revenue growth for Montrose Environmental. That is uh, an exciting space to be as a company. And um, I am really interested in the sustainability space and everything environmental. So I'm going to... I mean, you don't have to be in software to find a 36% growth rate. Right. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. All right, well, Siobhan, thank you very much. It's been so much fun having you with us this week. Siobhan Field uh, with us, uh, for most of this week, and we enjoy it. It sure uh, has As been. well as Ben Wilson 
Isn't Ben great? He's the best, Ben. He's extraordinary. Thank you for being here. He is. He is. Editor extraordinaire. Is that, is that? Sure. The, yes. Isaac, wherever he is, is still our executive producer, Isaac Webster. And we appreciate him too. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.